Hi guys, welcome back. We just wanted to talk a little bit about um, this amazing book that's coming out. You guys have maybe listened to the episode where we talked to the author. That was episode number nine. But if you haven't, or if you're interested in buying it, its release date is going to be on June the 7th of this year, 2022. Um, and let's talk a little bit about what the book's about. Sean Brogan has spent most of his life running from a past that he can never escape. Emotionally abandoned by his alcoholic father and secretly blaming himself for his mother's death, the scars he carries are ones that no one can see. On the anniversary of the day that changed his life forever, Sean flees New York City in his 1965 Triumph Bonneville, hoping to face the demons that plague his nightmares. So, just so you guys know, um, Kara is also doing a book birthday celebration June 7th on the Monarch Publishing YouTube channel from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll share that link so you guys have it. She's also doing a book signing um, at Panera in Clarksburg on June 11th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you need the address for that Panera, it's going to be 103 Emily Drive in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and the zip code's going to be 26301. Awesome. And you can pre-order the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lots of other super cool spots where you buy amazing books. We'll also share some links for that. Yeah, definitely. And just so you know, if you do need to get a copy of her book when she's doing the signing, she's going to have some copies there with her. And we are so excited that Kara decided to be our very first ad. Yeah, and by the way, if you pick up a book, you might get a super cool sticker to go along with it from your favorite podcast, not the one you're thinking about, us. Definitely us. Definitely us, when I say <laughs> uh, I'm talking about us, creeps. All right, so you should definitely read this book. You should definitely finish listening to this episode, then go find the episode where we interviewed Kara about this book. It's pretty awesome. All right, stay creepy. This is another episode of Main Corpse. I am your host, Matt. And I'm Kelsey. This is Kelsey. We have got a story for you that's going to turn the stomach. Welcome to Main Corpse. Um, I am your co-host, Matt. And I'm your other co-host, Kelsey. All right. Um, <laughs> oh, it's been a day. All yeah. right. So we have an amazing episode coming up. It's a Kelsey episode. I don't know what it's about yet, but we're going to find out here in just a minute. Um, she's excited to tell me. I can tell. So we'll get to that in just one second. But first, we have food from one of my absolute favorite places that have ever made food. Yes. You want to tell them what it is? Ollie's Mediterranean Cuisine. Oh, okay. So, Kelsey, we decided just to order one thing and split it because their food is mammoth in proportions. Mm -hmm. um, and she actually ordered two things. And I know one is grape leaves, which I'm really, really excited about because I love grape leaves. And what's the other? What else did we get? Um, we got the chicken kebab Greek salad. It looks freaking amazing. They're chicken mm -hmm. kebabs. When I go in there... So good. I normally get, like, um, chicken shawarma, 
or I get the kebab uh, mill that has like the rice and the kebabs and everything in it. So yeah, I'm going to dig in because this looks absolutely stunning. So it's not really a traditional salad. It's got tomatoes, peppers, um, cucumber. Well, they have like a tomato cucumber salad, but they also have like grape tomatoes mm-hmm. that aren't part of that oh, like, gotcha. salad. Okay. Yeah, it's just a load of vegetables. It's so good. Yeah, it's so it looks good. Mm. Even the radishes are good. Everything's good. <laughs> There's nothing in this that's bad. Mm, the big chunks of feta cheese. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they used to season their chicken, but it is out of this world. Their chicken, when you go in there, mm-hmm. they're just grilling it over like a big open flame, basically. Mm. Mm. It's so good. Have you walked in there before and seen it? Mm-hmm. It's so cool how they do it. I took my mom to lunch there the other day with Millie. Millie liked it? Mm-hmm. Well, not all of it, but she really likes chicken and she likes tomatoes, so... How is she Michael's... No idea. Um, daughter. Tomatoes? She's my kid. His daughter eats tomatoes? She loves tomatoes. It's her favorite I food. have never seen someone hate tomatoes like Michael Woods hates tomatoes. I know. This makes me so happy. Me too. All right, so let's talk a little bit about these grape leaves. Mm-hmm. Unlike most places, these grape leaves are served warm. Um, it's a mix of, like lemon and rice and spices and it is wrapped in a grape leaf and i don't know what kind of oil is on it but it's probably olive oil it's delicious grape seed oil probably maybe maybe hell i don't mm. know doesn't matter grape leaves i discovered these when i was in the philippines mm. one of the people we were traveling with was from the mediterranean mm-hmm. and he took us to a mediterranean restaurant there that he said he had been to before and it was delicious they had grape leaves, and it was the first time I ever tried them, and I just fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. They sound like they're going to be weird, but they're so good. Mm-hmm. They're just so sticky, and mm-hmm. just, oh, I'm so happy right now. The price point on making these has to be so low, mm-hmm. but they are so good. One of my favorite things they have mm-hmm. is their little um, sampler mm-hmm. that has falafel. They have really good falafel. Their hummus um, is out of this world. Their hummus is really good. Their tahini is really, really good. Um, I mean, everything they make is is good. They don't do anything poorly. They have the best baklava I've ever had. Really? I, you know, funny thing is, I've been there a dozen times at this point, and I've never had it. What? One day, we ordered it while I was here, and remember, they didn't give it to us. That's we right. Ordered they were it, out. We ordered it for a, uh, a gaming session for everybody, and they didn't give it to us. They charged us for it, but they didn't give it to us. So... Ali's, give me some free baklava. <laughs> you should hook me up, man. Or a discount, even. Or just delicious. a discount. Yeah, I'll pay for it still. I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> absolutely perfect. I mean, yeah. there's no other way to describe. You know, we're lucky that at least the places that open around here, we may only have one or two Mediterranean places, but they're always so good. Yeah. Um, people know how to do it around here. I mean, it's, it's, true. it's very, very good. So, Ali's, thank you. Do you have their information pulled up? Like their I address sure do. Anything? Cool. Um, it is Holiday Plaza Shopping Center, 128 Thompson Drive, Bridgeport, West Virginia. And their hours are basically every day from 11 to 8. Sundays, it's 12 to 7. Go there. It's great. Definitely do that. Um, I recommend this, the chicken kebab salad, the grape leaves, the falafel sandwich is really good, too. Mm-hmm. Again, the baklava. Oh, oh, now you're... 
See, now I'm going to have to go find baklava. It's so good. Um, there used to be a place on High Street in Morgantown, mm-hmm. the Mediterranean Cafe, I believe is what it was called, or Mediterranean Deli. Okay. They had amazing baklava. Um, so, so good. I wish they were still around. So hopefully they're as good as that was. Yeah. Uh, because I love baklava. All right. So thank you, Ollie's. Let's go ahead and I guess get to the story for today. I'm really excited. It's the first one I've covered that's not actually about a murder. So let's go. Let's do this. All right. So today we are talking about Radon Fayyid. Do you know who that is? I have no clue. Wonderful. You're going to love this. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. He was born May 10th in 1972 in Creel. That's in France. It's a suburb of Paris. Um, Both of his parents were Algerian immigrants. He was the ninth of his parents' children. He realized very quickly how his family was different from the wealthy families in the nearby city of Chantilly. He got his start in crime at the age of six when he stole a shopping cart full of candy from a store. He began stealing more from the mall, toys and comic books. By the time he was 11, he had banded together with three other kids from the neighborhood to form what he called a cosmopolitan gang. They robbed supermarkets and eventually moved on to apartments, looting TVs and stereos. By the time he was 12, he knew that stealing was going to become his profession. Faid always wanted to be a real-life fictional character. He developed the mantra, What you can't get legally, you've got to take. He came of age with a crew of petty thieves and graduated from the projects for Creel into a gangster who bedeviled police and enchanted his fellow criminals. An obsessive cinephile, Faid envisioned himself from a young age as the protagonist of his own movie and in his holdups he emulated exploits that he'd seen in films from Quentin Tarantino Catherine Bigelow and his idol Michael Mann. Eventually using movies like Scarface and Heat as what he called a user's guide for armed robbery. First off, let me say this. Um, I appreciate him uh, for for loving great film. Uh, Michael Mann is when you said when you said Quentin Tarantino, I was like absolutely. Catherine Bigelow, absolutely. When you said Michael Mann, I was like, wait, this dude was a serious cinephile. Um, the best Michael Mann movie though, Thief. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm go so ahead. excited that you yes. said that. Let's go. All right. So it was after this that he began to participate in more serious crimes. He was the co-leader of a gang, kind of like a co-host, but somehow worse, and they specialized in armed robberies, jewelry theft, and extortion. In 1991, at the age of 18, he was arrested for the first time for robbing a department store. According to the book that he wrote with a journalist called Outlaw, he had fallen in with a pair of older gangsters who had come up in the rough streets of Paris and were stealing... Amex cards from mailboxes and computers from warehouses. In the mid-90s, he was accused of various crimes, but escaped capture by living in Switzerland and Israel. His real mentors were the gangsters he looked up to on screen. Later, he began carrying a gun, a three fifty seven Magnum revolver, just like Belmondo's, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. I assume you know who that is. Um, he would brandish the weapon during robberies and quote lines from The Nightcaller and other movies. He made more money from the stick-ups than the gang had ever made from his petty thieving. 
he began looking up to movies for ideas on how he should use his money. He began refashioning his tastes to fit the character he was creating, Rolexes, fast cars, and suits. In 1995, Faid robbed a jewelry store in an act of homage to Reservoir Dogs. Everyone going by aliases, Mr. Green, Mr. Black, and Mr. Yellow, while wearing black suits. How have I never heard of this? Is this real or is this, this an April is Fool's entirely joke? Real. Are you messing with this me This is right real. Now? Okay. All right. He's a real person. You can look him up. Wow. Okay. This is this is the officially the best episode of Main Corpse ever. Go ahead. All right. Faid says, I studied Harvey Keitel to learn how to do a holdup. Later, they reenacted a scene from Point Break by wearing masks of former presidents. Leaving the scene, Faid quoted Patrick Swayze's character, Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and please don't forget to vote. Faid was granted the name Doc after Doc McCoy. Um, Steve McQueen's character from The Getaway, due to his ability to visualize how a job would play out. Um, he always really wanted to be known as a careful thief who took precautions to avoid violence. He felt bloodshed would mar the artistry of his career. He said his favorite tribute was to Michael Mann's Heat. Two years after the film released, Faid and his associates wore hockey masks for their attack on an armored truck. He watched the film dozens of times and studied it frame by frame. In 1997, the police pinned an armored truck robbery on him and he ran. So he went to Switzerland and then eventually moved on to Israel, where I read a couple of different accounts. He um, either was pretending or at the time decided he was going to be Jewish Okay. Um, in Israel. And that's how he managed to evade arrest. He evaded his arrest several times before he was tracked down by French police through the travel agency he was using to purchase his plane tickets. He was arrested and brought to his first trial in 1998. Are you excited? Because I'm excited. I'm, I'm very, very <laughs> excited. Yes. All right. His sentence was 30 years, but he only served 10 before he was released for good behavior. Um, and of course, he was on parole. In July of 2009, he wrote a letter to Michael Mann explaining how the director had provided him a template for his career, saying it was a documentary report on what needs to be done or not done when you want to learn to become a crook. You don't snitch, you don't touch drugs, you never spill blood, and you don't get mixed up with big crime lords. A few days later... Um, Man was actually the part of a cinema lesson on um, some of his retrospective films. Midway through, during the, the Q&A part, Faid was there and um, took the microphone. He introduced himself as a former gangster and explained that through his career, he had a technical advisor, college teacher, and kind of mentor. And his name was Michael Mann. And here is a quote from Faid. Heat remains the absolute example of organized crime, inspired by life, by people, real facts. He tries to transmit them in his cinema. I personally am a former gangster. Unfortunately, I do not brag about it. I just spent 10 years in prison. I attacked armored vans for 20 years. I've known Michael Mann. I discovered him with Thief and with a bunch of friends. We watched his films a bit as reports, as documentaries, and sometimes even... And Faid gets a little bit starstruck and starts to stumble. Recently, journalists asked me, you know, you had a big crime career. 
and you did it yourself. You're self-taught. And I told them, no, I had a technical advisor, a college teacher, a kind of mentor. His name, Michael Mann. Amazingly, the moderator um, for this con interrupted Fayed, the convicted felon, and told him to get to his point. And Fayed said, well, my question is simple. Is he aware there are gangsters who can draw inspiration from his cinema? And he continued noting that his wife actually hates him and that she would like to ask Michael for damages and interest. Um, Of course, man wasn't sure how to respond and visibly thrown responded, thank you for that. I don't know how to respond to that. (laughs) So I... It's, it's really weird that you bring up Michael Mann. I was watching um, a documentary about Michael Mann not that long ago, um, and this never came up in it. And I'm, I'm shocked by that, but probably because, <laughs> well, I mean, but you would think that that's pretty big. That's pretty big. And, you know, I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I'm not saying that he should be proud of it, but if his movies are that, are accurate enough that real criminals can look at him and and try to emulate them? So, I actually watched, and I sent this to Brit, I don't know what we can do with it, because it's entirely in French. Uh-huh. Um, but there's a YouTube video of this conversation. Of the interaction. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll find it. I want to watch um, it. I sent it to Brit, so I can send it to you, too. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, with his newfound freedom, he decided he was going to speak openly about his past, writing a book with a journalist called Outlaw, which we just talked about mm-hmm. a little bit ago. It was a candid retelling of his gangsterism. Faid became a media sensation and was soon making rounds on French television. The media just loved the story about the rehabilitated gangster, but investigators keeping an eye on him just really weren't so sure. Um, just after his book came out in 2010, he was touring it and was suspected to also have been the mastermind of an armed robbery of this of a security van that was carrying money. Five months before the book released, two police officers rolled to a stop at a red light in the Parisian suburb of Criteau. You know what? I'm not pronouncing that correctly and French people are going to be mad. So I'm just going to stop. Just just behind this white van, they noticed um, two bullet holes in its rear door. So one of the officers ran to check the license plate and not receiving an immediate response over the radio, he got out to investigate. When he demanded that they cut the engine, um, there was no response. What the officer didn't know is the van was heavily armed and on a mission to knock off two armored vehicles carrying around $16 million cash. Now, the van took off, and the officer unholsters his gun just as the van peels through a red light and into traffic. So he hops back in the cruiser, and they give chase. They blew through stoplights across an overpass, veered onto the highway, and then from the back of the van, a canister of gas was launched at the squad car. More items followed, including fire extinguishers and an object with a lit wick that was probably a bomb. It never detonated, though. It just left burn marks on the hood. Um, And does this not, like, sound to you like a cartoon chase? This is amazing. I mean, it's, yeah... (laughs) amazing. Um, Within moments, it went from a high-speed chase to a gunfight. One of the van's passengers fired two warning shots from a rifle, then shot at the police car with a handgun, because I don't know, was he dual-wielding? I I, I don't know. It was very specific about that. The officers fired back only to be to start getting sprayed with AK-47 fire. How how does this happen? (laughs) 
Like, first of all, it's like a video game, like Switch. Like, you're just like, all right, handgun. All right, AK, let's go. Yeah. Um, So traffic slowed to a crawl, and the cops nearly slammed into the van. The police rolled from the car and ran for cover. Several bystanders were injured in crossfire before the van squeezed onto an emergency lane and took off. When the officers got back to their cruiser, they found their tires had been entirely blown out. Which was super smart, by the Very way. Very smart, yeah. Like, so the van gets abandoned at the next exit where they just stole another vehicle. Before they made it anywhere, a second squad car came up behind them with two officers. The men opened fire on the police, mortally wounding our. Orle Fouquet before speeding away. Fouquet left behind a one-year-old, and her death was considered a national tragedy. It marked the first time a policewoman had been killed in the line of fire in France. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was given a hero's burial and posthumously awarded the Legion of Honor. The president of France at the time is quoted saying, I say this in front of Orly Fouquet's coffin. Her killers will be punished with all the severity of their ignominious crime demands. Which is a really big word to translate from French to English. Very, yeah. Um, (laughs) Detectives on the case of the harrowing would-be heist turned murder immediately wanted to speak with Rodan. Faid denied having any part of it as he had been at his day job to meet the conditions of his parole. He actually worked at an administrative position in a construction recruitment agency. Um, his boss said he'd been frequently missing shifts due to meeting with the journalist to complete his manuscript, but it was all, like... Above board. Yeah, above yeah. board. Like, it was just all stuff that he was aware of and wasn't really that big of a deal. Um, it took eight months for the investigators to piece together the actual facts. The whole time, Faid maintained his innocence, stating that he was light years away. At this time, he was promoting his book and turning his act around. Investigators found security footage, however, of Faid driving a hatchback Renault, which is the kind of um, Mm -hmm. work van that had the bullet holes, leading a convoy of three vehicles, including the white van with the bullet holes in the back door. The detective tasked with investigating Faid said... That Faid is the first time I came across someone who lives this criminal life as though it's out of a screenplay, and that's where he's truly dangerous. Faid had grown certain that he was being watched at by police at this time, and that they were coming for him at any point. He made a point to take the metro to and from work at exactly the same time every day, wanting to give the police a false sense of security that he'd be home in the early hours of the morning. He also thought that they would take the stairs instead of alerting him by using the elevator when they did finally come to arrest him in his apartment. So he began getting up every day at 4 a.m. and sitting outside because they were outside stairs. Outside on his stairway, so he could hear them if they came up. Wow. Okay. It paid off on January 11th, just before 6 a.m. He heard a team of officers coming up the stairs. He immediately knew what to do. He took his long-planned escape route to the roof. By the time he made it there, he could hear the team breaking down the door of his apartment. He slipped through the skylight of a neighboring building and spent the next six hours hiding in a storage space that was used for the apartment's um, baby strollers and bikes. 
Um, an associate of his arrived after that, taking him away in his getaway car. He phoned the journalist he'd been working with, polite, um, just to tell him, hey, I'm innocent, but I have to go on the lam. He was able to spend the next six months running, during which time he robbed an armored vehicle. He and other suspects were arrested in a sting operation after this. He was taken back into custody in 2011 for failing to comply with the terms of his parole. You know. This is wild. I mean, this is <laughs> this is insane. I, I've got so much more. Um, Faid was taken into custody after the boggled armed robbery and ordered to serve the rest of his 18-year sentence. Prosecutors accused him of the robbery, but also of masterminding the aborted heist that ended in Fouquet's death. The court found him guilty, and his appeals failed. He was then sentenced to 53 years, which, at 40 years old, it effectively became a life sentence for it's, him. Yeah, yeah. Faid was moved to a different prison in November of 2012. A few months into his stay here, his wife came to visit him. Later, as guards escorted him out to visitation with his brother, he brought with him a bag of what appeared to be dirty laundry. It quickly became obvious, however, that the thought-to-be laundry was actually a loaded gun, lighters, and explosive materials which had been smuggled into the jail. It's believed that his wife brought him the explosives in a tissue box that she had given him during their meeting, which this is like the mid-2000s. They're not <laughs> great if, like, what's their security looking for if not uh, explosive devices? I don't know. I'm... Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he took four wardens as hostages until he managed to escape. He didn't actually injure anyone. However, everyone was in a state of shock after the fact, which if I was held hostage with explosives, I'd probably be a little bit, you know, shaken up. Faid made off in a getaway car, which was abandoned and set fire to before they got into a second getaway vehicle. One of the wardens from the jail warned that Faid was particularly dangerous and still possessed explosives. Around 100 specialist police were deployed to track down Faid after his escape, narrowly managing to avoid capture just weeks after his escape, and he had to abandon a car that was still carrying explosives. March of 2017, he received an additional 10-year sentence for his first prison break. So they found him, took him back to jail, and gave him 10 more years. So that brings us to 63 years. Wow. And he was, what, you said 46 when he, he went in? He was 40 when 40. he went Okay, so even at 40, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to give a shout out. I got a lot of my information from GQ. I mean, there's a really detailed article that had an interview directly with him. Wow. Okay. So I, yeah. I would like to link that article because a yeah. whole lot of my information came from it. Um, in that interview, he describes how he prepares mentally for a jailbreak. I wasn't really going to include this, but I think it's super interesting what he has to say. Um, he says, there's a deathly silence in the cell. I can't hear a thing anymore. If I'm breaking out this morning, it's to leave that silence behind. I worked hard these past months to get my spirit as clear and concentrated as it needs to be to make it to the top of this day. In June of 2018, uh, there was an urgent request made that Faid be moved to a different facility. The country's central administration replied that the transfer would take place in September. So that's June to September. 
Those that were running the prison were frustrated with the delay, stating that the decision was extremely dangerous for their personnel and for the public order. Faid had no intention of being available for that transfer, setting his jailbreak for July the 1st. (laughs) Faid said he regards moments like these the way a filmmaker might. It's kind of a mise-en-scene. Efficient. Precise. You have to be able to stop time. The idea is to sense in advance where trouble might come from. You don't want any problems. And when you've eliminated all paths, in the end, there's only one path left for you to take. All right, now, in a different part of France, Stiohane Bai is a flight instructor, um, and he's waiting patiently for his private lesson students to arrive. He says that two men arrived and held guns to his head and told him not to be an idiot. They told him that another commando was stationed outside his home, and if he didn't cooperate, both his partner and their daughter would pay the price. Bai is told to land the helicopter in a field, cut the engine, and a third member joins the party. After they load up weapons and equipment to the helicopter, they're ready to get moving again. The engine of the helicopter won't turn over. The hijackers think that Bai is messing with them and begin to demand that he start the helicopter. They don't believe that he's being honest and begin to threaten his family and pistol whip him. He eventually manages to make whatever adjustment he needed to make to the helicopter to um, get the engine to start. Here's a quick aside. France has been the site of more successful helicopter jailbreaks than any other nation. Just, Just information for you to have. Why we call them freedom fries around here. So we don't believe in that stuff. So the prison is entirely prepared for a helicopter attack, but Faid's people have chosen very well, and the specific model of helicopter they chose has a small enough wingspan to land in the only part of the jail that doesn't have a full covering of anti-helicopter net. There's a single spot in the jail. So, wait, jails in France have to have anti-helicopter netting? Wow. Okay. (laughs) All right. They're the site of the most successful helicopter jailbreaks. That's amazing, (laughs) right? insane. Okay. Okay. All right. So, two men jump out of the helicopter and throw smoke bombs and tear gas canisters at the surrounding buildings. The third man remains in the cockpit, pistol still pointed at the pilot, ordering him to hover above the ground. Because they don't want another engine won't start back up issue, you yeah, know? of course. Um, the men use a power saw to shear off the lock to the prison building, retrieve Faid from his vid- visitation chamber, where he was visiting his brother <laughs> again, and he left his brother following his rescuers. They encountered absolutely no obstacles when leaving the prison. Once they finally realize what's happening, guards attempt to call for backup, but they had disrupted the phone lines. So... One of the guards dials 17, which is the French equivalent to 911. The operator who answers demands to know if it's a joke before they begin collecting all the relevant information. The operator tells the guards to calm down and just follow protocol. The call lasted a full five minutes, and by the end of this, Faid's already in the courtyard walking to his helicopter. He said he felt at that moment like James Can from Thief. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the, I literally just, I mean, like two weeks ago, I bought the Criterion Blu-ray Thief and I've been meaning to sit down and watch it because it's got James Caan in it and Willie Nelson of all people. So amazing. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Oh my God. 
This is bizarre. After the helicopter lands in a field just north of Paris, Fayette and his accomplices douse the aircraft. I feel so bad for this man. His only helicopter and these people not only kidnap him and hold him hostage, they set fire to his <laughs> helicopter when they're done with it. The getaway vehicle smashes through the barrier um, from the highway to this field, picks them up, and they just leave this poor man alone with his burning <laughs> helicopter. That Frenchman is like, sacre bleu! He's freaking yeah. out, you know? And so they drive to a parking lot where they set the vehicle they're in on fire and take a different white utility van, another Renault. Um, he is last seen heading north on the highway after that his tracks completely vanish. Three thousand police were part of the manhunt after this grand <laughs> helicopter escape. Several weeks after the escape, authorities caught another whiff of him. A police cruiser came across a Renault pulled over on the side of an express road. The officer stopped to investigate, but at the sight of the police, the vehicle just tore off. The van was abandoned in a mall parking lot, and authorities later saw security footage um, where they say that they saw Fayed and his brother fleeing the scene. Law enforcement was soon given an anonymous tip that Fayed had been spotted in Creel, which was his home initially, um, and police set up several unmarked vehicles that were constantly recording so that if they happened to see anything when they were driving by, they could like go over the footage and figure out where it was and who they saw. They eventually saw what appeared to be a man walking, struggling to walk through the streets in a burqa. And <laughs> when they realized that that was kind of weird they um dug a little deeper and they found that it was Faid. um they finally trapped him and his brothers rashid and isaac in the apartment they were staying in at the time police and the images of Faid from the time describe him as haggard an officer said like a hair caught in the headlights three months after <laughs> the escape they announced that they finally have arrested Fayed around 4 a.m. The French Prime Minister, Edward Philippe, tweeted, Redon Fayed's arrest shows, once again, the professionalism of the French police. Congratulations to investigators for their meticulous work and to the French Special Forces for arresting him without any incident. Six other individuals were arrested during the investigation, two weapons seized, but no shots were fired, and no one was injured during the arrest. Police tried to determine, and are still trying to determine, exactly how the helicopter escape was pulled off, and started looking into um, relatives of his, and identified Isaac and Rashid as suspects as part of this. The third person remains completely unknown. In February of 2020, Faid refused to appear in court for the opening of his appeal of the conviction from 2011. Faid's lawyers stated that he, a week into the hunger strike he was having and facing hour-long trips to the site of the appeal court, had been denied the power to express himself. The appeal court's president dryly remarked that Faid was at least theoretically available for an appearance. I don't think he, his he's free, saving for a breakout. Um, somewhat poetically, Fayed once said, take away the cinema and you would have 50% less crime. In October of 2018, Pierre Morel uh, announced that he would be directing what is still untitled 
a film based on Radon Fayyid's life story. And I'm going to end it with a quote from Radon Fayyid. Movies, for me, were like a user's guide for armed robbery. That's insane. You didn't say anything the whole time. That's nuts. It's just nuts. <laughs> it's, I, I'm going to have to go read about it. Um, and obviously, if the movie, if they make this movie, I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah. Um, I've watched a million movies It's on his IMDb like as um, a still unnamed Radon Fayed story. Wow. Okay. This is real. Do you believe this is real? I, and how have you never heard I, of it? I hope that you're not pulling the, the best April Fool's prank, prank anyone's ever pulled on me before. But yeah, this is this is bizarre. I know. This is bizarre. I know. All right. So I'm going to have to go look this up. And we might have to do another <laughs> episode about this one. Um, if, if Let's see if he escapes again first. Um, I kind of hope he does. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. So you I hope can, they don't let him watch movies. I hope they do. You can't take him. You can't take away a man's movies. Come on. I know, but if they're his uh, user's guide. Yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> I mean, keep it. Keep him away from televisions, I suppose. All right. So thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other spots where you can find great podcasts. Um, we're also on iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio, and the Facebook. The Facebook, Facebook. yes. All right, so stay creepy, you weirdos.